Hi everyone and welcome to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and Nathan Lear and myself co-host this program. Um, our objective is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Uh, we're both directors and private client advisors at Hewson Private Wealth. Um, this week, Nathan and I have a chat about the 2019 federal budget uh, that was on Tuesday. Um, we give our thoughts and views and we hope you in- enjoy the comments. Thank you. Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors podcast. Um, this week, or earlier in the week, the, the government delivered the budget for the 2019-2020 financial year. Um, it is forecast to go into surplus, so they're projecting a surplus of $7 billion. And, and really, this is, I suppose, a bit of a return to surplus. We've seen a few deficits um, in, in recent years coming out of the um, global financial crisis, uh, but with the very strong recovery in commodity prices, this is a main driver of, I suppose, government revenue with, through company taxes and so forth. So that's um, been a real driver to, for the surplus um, for the government budget uh, or the federal budget. Um, and, and this is, I suppose, even reflected by a softer outlook for household consumption, consumption um, and expenditure on new housing construction and so forth. So overall, it, it's been a pretty good year from a government tax perspective. Um, and it's projected to even remain in surplus in future years. Um, so on the back of that, I suppose what Nathan and I will chat about was a few of the proposals, um, our, our views on that. Um, and I suppose it's, it's a bit of a funny situation at the moment. Nathan and I were just chatting, out, chatting about before coming on air, the fact that we're you know, looking very closely at, a, at an election, so just around the corner. Um, so a lot of what we're talking about, there's no guarantees that will come to fruition. Um, and depending on what what sort of view you have on the polls, um, it's not looking like the coalition will get in anyway. But look, we'll we'll go through a few of the proposals um, that have been announced, but but also chat about I suppose Labor's response to that. Um, Nathan, I suppose what has got the most coverage through this budget has been the tax cuts or the proposed tax cuts. Be- before we go into the some of the specific things, Glenn, just just on I was just you know reading and listening to a few things. It's it's almost unprecedented unprecedented how 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 quickly the election is going to be after the, the budget has been announced. Yeah. So I think when, there was a budget earlier this year than what it has been in previous years uh, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, so maybe a month or so. It's early. earlier, but yeah. so I think the election is likely to be is it is May the. I think that's what yeah that's what they're saying yeah yeah I mean whether it's, I, I don't know but but it's it's just very unusual how how close together the announcement of the budget and the election um, is going to be. so We're sort of in limbo at the moment as well, aren't we, with a lot of these things? Yeah, and, and we're in that kind of funny situation as well where the, you know, the polls are suggesting there could be a, a change of government. So it's like we're looking, we're looking over the, this budget information uh, of the coalition, but there's a very strong chance that the, the Labor Party might win to power. So it's just a, it's a funny situation. Yeah, it, it is a bit it? of a funny situation. Mm. Um, but look, so, as I was saying, the major attention from the media has been focused on tax cuts. There are some, um, there is some tax relief being introduced for the 18-19 financial year, um, but most of the tax cuts look to be coming through in future years. So I suppose even more uncertainty around that. Um, so perhaps we'll just have a bit of a discussion about what those 
proposed tax mm. cuts are. So maybe, I mean, I think we're going to focus on a bit of the top level stuff in this podcast yeah. today, Glenn. I mean, you can get obviously all the details out there, but just interesting, um, the, the I mean, we spoke, I think you mentioned the commodity prices have recovered and, and um, I guess increased government revenue. Yeah, they can't um, tax revenue. Therefore, they can pass on tax cuts to Australians, which which last year there was a lot of tax cuts announced and, and, and this year there's there's further tax cuts you, announced. You do wonder though, are they tax cuts? Because a lot of it has really, you know, we hear about bracket creep yeah. where obviously through inflation, um, the, 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 the thresholds at which new tax rates kick in can, can be sort of um, outdated over time because obviously if you just leave that stagnant, then over time people will earn greater salaries um, but not necessarily be better off because obviously the cost of living is rising as well. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it's important to take all this into context, isn't it? Because um, al- although we hear the top line figures, you know, multi-billion dollar tax cuts, it really comes down to what does that mean for the individual? Yeah. Um, and a-, a big part of the tax um, relief for low-income earners has been through an offset. So they're just increasing the threshold as to as to when people are eligible for those. Um, But obviously in dollar terms, you know, the the thing that I think is really important for people to understand when they're watching the news, reading the papers and looking at the actual dollar tax relief, sometimes when you're looking at that, it always seems to be skewed to those who are earning higher incomes. And on the face of it, you can think, well, that's not fair. You know, like they're they're already earning significant amounts of money. Why should they get an $11,000 tax cut? And yet I'm only getting... A couple of thousand dollars it's important to understand that if you're already paying low levels of tax it's very hard to just cut that tax completely isn't it like there's not there's never going to be in dollar terms i suppose as much tax relief Mm. and that's why i think both sides of government have um introduced tax offsets as opposed to marginal tax rate cuts um i mean did you have any specific thoughts about the tax cuts at all no 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 not a lot more to add because i mean the, the main change as I said, was really just raising the thresholds at, at to which the um, the various tax rates kick in. Um, but it is main. I mean, well, the way it's been been um, sold, marketed is it's mainly low and middle income earners. That and and the figure that you've probably all seen um, thrown around is the a thousand and eighty dollars for individuals or two thousand and sixteen dollars for couples. Um, Between incomes of thirty seven and forty eight thousand. That, that's that's the maximum offset. Yeah, yeah. So it, basically, the the, re, the reduction. So that what they're doing is is providing tax relief, um, a reduction in tax of up to two hundred fifty five dollars for individuals with taxable income up to thirty seven thousand, and then for those who have income between thirty seven and forty eight, um, the available offset increases up to a maximum of a thousand and eighty dollars. Yeah, yeah, the thousand and eighty. So, that's the yeah. So I mean, it's. <laughs> I suppose for people on those incomes, that every do, every dollar counts, doesn't it? But we're not sure. talking massive amounts of tax relief for those people, are we? But as I was saying, that I mean, I, I don't know that the dollar amounts in tax that they're paying, but in any sort of any form of tax relief, I, I think is, is is good for everybody. Um, but I think it's important to put it into context as well, isn't it? Because you know, if your salaries have been increasing, but so too has the cost of living then in, in real dollar terms, it probably isn't really a lot of relief. It's just keeping track with inflation, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Is, is, this, um, is this just for vote grabbing, do you think, or the, the tax cuts? Yeah, or? look, a, a lot of this stuff does smell of that. Uh, I mean, one of the other things that 
I was just I was chatting to people about over the weekend um, was the and without moving away from the tax was the one-off energy assistance payment, um, which is essentially paid to people, um, well pensioners, um, recipients of of Centrelink payments, and it's a hundred and fifty dollar payment to go towards energy. Um, I mean, this is just a personal view, but that that sort of thing is all all good and well. Sorry, excuse me, all good and well, but what happens for future bills? I mean, I think it's very short-term focus and, and one of my major criticisms of, of whether they're in opposition or in government is that unfortunately a lot of these things just seem to be so short-sighted, don't they? I mean, whether it's tax relief, yes, we're getting a lot of revenue now because commodity prices are high, but what happens if commodity prices come off? Does that mean we go into deficit? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what sort of measures Treasury put in place to try and predict these things. Um, but if if we're looking at you know seventy five dollars for individuals and sixty two dollars fifty for each member of a couple up to one hundred and twenty five dollars um, for those that receive basically income support, yeah, age so pension, carers pension, disability that's pension, right. those kind of things. And, and look, I'm not saying that this amount of money isn't helpful because it is. I mean, you know, but your th- your, your comments are that it's a it's a one off payment because. Yes, it's going to provide relief. But what about this next, time around? Next year. What about next year? Yeah. In three months' time, in six months' time, like, what 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 are we doing to help people, you know, meet the costs of energy, which just continue to rise? Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, think- we're not we're not experts in this field, but you know, t- thinking simplistically, you, I don't know how much this is going to cost. You know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, if if it doesn't, you know, I, I just keep thinking: Are they better off if they've got a long term view? investing that money in some other project to try and help reduce the cost of energy longer term. We've spoken about this so many times on the podcast, but I mean, for people that haven't heard us talk about this, I mean, that that's the way governments unfortunately work with the, yeah, the short-term, so short-term view and, um, you know, the, the you know, four-year term. Um, it's it's obviously they're, they're going to be swayed to want to try and win votes. And it is, it is a hot topic at the moment, this whole energy costs. And if... If people who are on, you know, lower means and that they're receiving support payments, um, you know, one hundred and twenty-five dollars a couple or seventy-five dollars for an individual, it, prob- it probably is. You know, it might sway them to vote that way. Yeah, it, it's it's a hard one because you don't. I suppose all, all you know is by the people, the people's reaction that you speak to. Um, you don't know what the masses. So you sort of use your own little um, network as a bit of a as a bit of a poll. Um, and and I, I don't know, like I, I've just got this feeling that voters aren't that silly anymore. Like you'd I, hope you'd hope people take that long term view because they think it's not just one year I'm looking at. Well, this current year I'm looking at, I'm looking for the next five, ten years. I mean, the people think I'm getting 125 dollars. I'm going to change my vote. Like it, it just seems so petty, doesn't it? But Look, I share that view, but it's it's hard to know what what goes yeah. through. I mean, I suppose twenty five million Australians. It's hard to know what goes through the head of a lot of those people. Yeah, I suppose what both of us would agree is that unfortunately, with budgets, a lot of the policy just seems to be very short term. There, there are things in the budget that we'll have a brief chat about that are more structural. But mm. when we're talking about tax benefits, one off payments, those one off payments just seem to be very very short term um, focused. Um, what one of the positives I suppose came out of the budget was very little change relating to superannuation. Um, one change that, I, I, you know, without speaking for you, Nathan, that I think um, we would both agree on is is the increasing the age at which 
individuals can make voluntary contributions to superannuation. At the moment, um, it's up to age 65. And then when you turn 65, you have to be working 40 hours over a 30-day period to be eligible. Um, so what the government's proposing is to essentially align um, that contribution age with the age pension age. So they're proposing that that be increased to age 66. Makes, makes a lot of sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and yeah. look, I, I think whether there should be an age restriction or not is, is probably a topic for another conversation. Um, but I think anything that in, in, in increases the ability for people to contribute to superannuation to essentially fund their own retirement and therefore not draw some form of um, social security payment, I think that's a good thing. Um, and what, what we're seeing at a practical level is people working longer as well. So I think they should be provided with the option of contributing to superannuation because the working age, well, age pension age has already gone up. Um, and I suppose through our experience, we're seeing a lot more people work full-time longer, but also you know, not necessarily just retire. They're, they're working in a part-time capacity. I think it makes sense that mm. that should be continuing to increase that age at which people can are eligible to contribute without without working, I suppose, as well. Yeah, yeah and, and people are, you know, working... Um, working longer and take, I mean, it's taking people longer to accumulate this money in super. So, um, you know, they might, even if they, they might have finished up work at age 65 and come into a little bit of money after they finish working and that can't go into super. But yeah, this, this definitely um, relaxes that rule. And, and just further to that, Glenn, they can, um, I don't think you mentioned, they can make the, uh, bring forward under the, under non-concessional contributions. You can yep. bring forward two future years. Um, which was not allowable past 60, age 65. Uh, now that can also be, be done from you know, ages 65 and 66. So, yeah, it's another uh, helpful thing there as well. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, we'd always be in, um, in agreement with those things and, you know, the downsides of contribution that we've spoken about. So I think it is good that government is focusing on providing greater options for people that are sort of on the other side of 60 to continue to focus on superannuation because it is a very important component of their you know re- retirement planning. It's it's a lot harder to get money into superannuation than it used to be. I mean, I was chatting to someone the other day that you know ten years ago you could basically Put get, everything get whatever there. you wanted into super, but but now you can only do really you know twenty five thousand dollars from employer contributions and salary sacrifice and a hundred thousand dollars from personal contributions. So it's a lot harder, and if unfortunately you can't start that process early on in your working life you do need the opportunity to kind of catch up in your later years so these are yeah these are great initiatives to help with that moving on from a personal i suppose impact with relation to the budget um for those who are in small business um the government's increasing um the asset right right off threshold from 25 to thirty thousand for companies with turnover less than 10 million dollars so you know, that's something that they've had in previous financial years, which I'm sure, you know, small businesses that are planning expenditure, that that does provide a benefit to them. Um, and hopefully, if people are incentivized to sort of bring forward expenditure, you know, that, that goes a long way towards providing some uh, bit of a spur for growth in, in the economy as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, the annual turnover between 10 million and 50 million. So yeah. it does allow... Um, you know, decent-sized businesses here to mm. to make use of that. So yeah, look, obviously that's a courageous spending. Um, you know, good for the economy. So that's why they've continued with that one. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I suppose, not necessarily from a strategic perspective, but from a from a funding perspective, you know, we've we've got a lot of clients 
who are either in retirement or have been in retirement for a long period of time. Um, and, and, and one thing that I'm, you know, as my client base ages, one thing that's becoming more and more prevalent is, is aged care. Um, and, and I think that both sides of government are really trying to increase the support that people are receiving um, through home care because the simple fact is we keep hearing that the number of care places within nursing homes and, and so forth is just insufficient to meet to meet supply. So the government's going to provide another $320 million uh, for a one-off increase to the basic subsidy for residential aged care recipients and also um, investing a lot of money in home care packages as well. So look, I think that's definitely something that, that's going to need funding because aging population, there's going to be a lot more people living a lot longer um, and there's no doubt that I think aged care in general is just a growing requirement and I suppose even even more argument to ensure that we've got the revenue coming in and the economy is ticking along because you know, the argument is that we're going to have less people as a percentage of the population working in future. So we need to make sure that we're providing, I believe, an incentive for people to work, earn more money, be profitable because tax revenue doesn't just go towards um, basic necessities but also things like aged care which are going to be a huge requirement, I think, in future. Yeah, yeah. Look, all you have to do is look at the, the you know, the demographics, and um, you know, it, it is it is a uh, Australia, I guess, has a very high proportion of those, you know, the baby boomers that will, you know, be moving into aged care. So it's important that we get it right because otherwise, it can be a real burden on the uh, on on the government. So. And that's and that's where I think, you know, people think about tax cuts and they and they think, oh well, tax cuts, but we need the revenue to fund schools, hospitals, aged care, all these sorts of things, but. In the end, people need, need to be provided with an incentive to earn money, don't they? Um, and if you see you know, your income, you're losing half of it through tax, what's the drive then to continue to push that higher and higher? Because the more you earn, the more tax you're paying, which hopefully goes towards the things that I think everyone should be entitled to, which is you know, health, education and so forth. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's always the necessities within any budget, but I suppose what we're saying is that hopefully there's a focus not only on the short term but also on the longer term mm. also the um i mean we're probably not going into too much detail but the you know the infrastructure spending theme has has continued which i know for many years i've, I've been kind of harping on um how important it is for for that to continue just the investment in in the economy and and infrastructure and uh i, I don't have all the stats in front of me i know there's a bit in it but um I think it's yeah pretty pretty positive to to see that continue. Personally. Well, it's a necessity, isn't it? Yeah. And and, it, and I think infrastructure, the money that the government spends isn't isn't like an expense that the economy gets no return from because obviously the government's spending money, but people are going to earn that as income, pay tax. So there's like this, you know, almost like a return of capital effect. So it does help the economy, and I think that I mean a lot of Western countries, whether it's the US or or Australia. We've probably underinvested in infrastructure in, in recent years, um, and I know that the the government debt. We were having a brief chat about it before. Always seems to be something that is a major issue. But arguably, with where interest rates where they are at the moment, now now could potentially be a good time for governments to borrow money to invest in infrastructure that I think we just desperately need. Yeah, um, just just I might mention it because we were talking about it, Glenn where it's taken 11 years for us to get into surplus. So we had 11 years of deficits and, you know, it was such a, obviously such a, uh, uh, I don't know, it was widely debated, you know, how, how important it is to get back into surplus, which, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it is. It's like running a household, running a, a country. You want to, you want to, each year, you want to have more money coming in than going out. You know, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but I was just looking at the, um, 
I think I heard the figure, correct me if I'm wrong, or I'm not sure if you know, Glenn, but I think our total government debt is $370 billion, something along along those figures, which um, is only, it's it's quite low compared, it's 19% um, of, GDP. of GDP, which is quite low compared to 78% in the US and 70% in the Eurozone. And, and That's where you need to put it into context, don't you? Because mm. people hear that, that figure, $320 billion, oh my God. But it's all relative to the size of the economy as well, isn't it? It's, mm. it's like having an investment property. If it's worth a million dollars, are you really concerned about $200,000 in debt so long as that property continues to grow? And that's why economic growth is, is so important. Yes, you don't want to have significant levels of debt, but so long as the economy is growing, in real dollar terms, the debt isn't such a major issue, is it? Yeah, I suppose you think of it like you know, your, your personal situation. If you've, got a, if you've got a home loan and the loan-to-value ratio is 19%, you know, You're not it, it's, it's not it, dangerous, it? is it? But um, and just what was going through my head before was we have a lot of household debt, though. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe that's something that's also, you know, to be considered in the overall picture. That although our you know, government debt is is quite low compared to some of you know, our Western counterparts, we've got a lot of household. Our total debt. debt is quite high. Yeah, and look, that that could become an issue if property prices come up. Um, so look, on, on that note, we, we might wrap it up there. Look, as we said, we didn't want to go into the absolute detail with what's happening. Uh, we just wanted to provide an overview and our thoughts. So we hope you enjoy the podcast and we look forward to chatting to you all again next week. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.